0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Men in Red 97 podcast. As always, I am Alan, the pole with the goal. As always, joined by co-host DJ. Hello, I've got a score bunny. This is fantastic news. And we are also joined by Tim. Well, here as always, guys. Yes, we, we love it when you're here, Tim. You always, pro- Like I've always said, you always provide that in-depth analysis that I always just somehow... Forget, I'm just I'm I'm just so in the moment that I like barely look at things, and then when I'm trying to look back on, especially if it's at home games, I'm just
1: yeah. We often rewatch home games.
0: Yeah, yeah. When um, we thought Matt would be here, but he actually is at the Crosstown Series game at Wrigley right now.
2: He is committing a sin, arguably the deadliest of the sins, which is he's being at a Cubs game. That's,
0: well, I mean, it technically... I, it's
2: I, I, listen, it's at Wrigley Fields, therefore it counts. I, I, heretic heretic cubby detected.
1: It's, it's in the away supporters section.
0: Hopefully. I don't
1: know. that there- surrounded by grates and uh, other stuff. Well,
2: it's surrounded by, here. Yeah. surrounded by overpriced hot dogs. Ugh. I mean, yeah. Why does he have, he doesn't have to go to
1: a Cubs game for that? He he can get that at fire home games,
0: or at or at Comiskey. Honestly, just stadium food in Chicago in general. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about other stuff that more or less surround the fire. And I wanted to start off with an article though there's already been a few talking about the new practice or training facility that the fire have started building on the near west side and um th- this this writer by the name of Mick Dumkey I don't know if I'm saying his name right um is very against it. um just by the title uh emails reveal how Lightfoot closed a backroom deal to hand public housing land over to a billionaire sports team. That's something that I always, I, I just found funny that across the articles, he always mentions that this is a sports team owned by billionaire, by a billionaire being of course, Joe Mansueto. Um, basically talking about how um, this was a backroom deal that gave land that was Originally owned by the Chicago Housing Authority to uh, the fire, and um, basically saying that this is not good.
1: Yeah. So the argument is that I guess essentially that the fire's practice facility should not be built on that land. Which I mean, I'm sure there is a way you could make that argument. I don't think that any of Nick's reporting has so far really reached the the actual terminal stage of the argument where it makes sense. I mean. The fact is that housing for people that need housing assistance has been chronically underfunded in the United States for the past 40 or 50 years, and that isn't the fault of, frankly, I mean, anyone other than us collectively, because we all elect the people that pay for those things in Congress. And this is just like another piece where it just seems like there isn't really that much of a point to it, other than the fact that it sort of makes the Chicago Housing Authority looked like they don't really know how to do their homework because they were getting assistance from the feds to fill out some of the forms and paperwork they needed to, to turn the land over to um, the fire, which is, by the way, it's, it's a lease. It's not actually sold to the team or the fire. It's, it's a lease that the Chicago Housing Authority is getting paid a million dollars a year for.
0: So, yeah. And I remember there were, you know, a lot of different um fire fans and you know people around that had their opinions you know shared about this um like you mentioned tim um that you know this makes it look semi-incompetent but it doesn't make the fire look bad or nefarious it's you know
2: because
1: i I mean again like there is this empty parcel of land the fact is that there were there was public housing on that land wasn't maintained very well. And because of that, it was, I mean, it was bad enough where at one point it was decided, like, this is back in the nineties, I believe that it needed to be demolished rather than refurbished. And so that happened and the land has been vacant. The CHA promised the people that lived on those properties that they would have new housing and they weren't able to deliver on those promises because basically the housing crash happened because the CHA's promise to be able to do that was predicated on the idea that private developers would kick in tons of money to give public housing a boost by doing mixed income developments. And it, I mean, the math never added up, like it, it just didn't add up in the 90s. But it was this like very like 90s sort of like, you know, one of the things in the Clinton administration that was a big deal back then, and you guys are too young to remember this is sort of like, Government can be small, but we can still accomplish these like progressive social goals at the same time by engaging the private sector in the right way, then it becomes win-win. And it's kind of a beautiful idea if you believe in capitalism and you believe in progressive social goals. And it, it just didn't work out because it was predicated on this notion that basically that there could be so much money in the private sector that they would be willing almost as a side benefit to build houses for public housing so that the government wouldn't have to do it and there's a couple of projects that were successful in the world but like you really need very specific property and like like property situations for that to happen didn't happen on mass it's not going to happen on mass and that land was going to be vacant until something better came along to use it unless there was some kind of a change in congress that we haven't seen in like literally at this point 50 years because this has been going on since the Carter administration in the 196
0: and the 1970s yeah so i'm like scrolling through the article and it can be a, like a bit misleading like you said that the land technically isn't being sold to the fire rather it's being leased yet the it's, the article's making it seem like it's the other way and the the fire actually recently had um and they did like an, uh, they made a video with the president of the ABLA, LAC, and that they said that they welcome the new facility. And
1: that what that is, that's the uh, Resident Advisory Council from the the public housing project that was on that land, and mm-hmm. part of which still remains in the land adjacent. Yeah. So she's a local you. resident that speaks for the people in public housing right there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that they said that this opportunity is going to allow. Uh, the ABLA and the fire to help the community uh, despite the ongoing failures from the CHA. And yeah, and from what I've read, um, when the article got mentioned in the, like specifically in the Chicago fire discord, a lot of people have been saying that, you know, they very much tried to give the fire essentially like a bad, you know, that the fire, we're the ones being shady. Yet, you know, it's this is not a new problem, essentially.
1: Exactly, and I mean it. it and they've been doing that for a while. And one of the kind of interesting things is this is one of the weird ways that you like learn sort of like who who you're talking to on Discord and stuff like that, because it turns out there's a number of people that are you know public housing advocates or involved with public housing have worked in architecture for public housing. And almost all of them sort of have been in favor of of this deal, Um, just because again, like nothing was going to be built on that land in the foreseeable future. Like we we've had multiple presidential administrations, you know, however many congressional elections, and money to really change the way that we look at public housing has never been forthcoming in all of that time. Um, And so this kind of becomes a win win. And you know, it it is sort of unfortunate that like it, it seems like. Blockhob's reporting on this has really decided that they've got an angle and they want to stick to it because I think that there are stories that could be told about like the CHA not looking great and some of the things that CHA are doing that are not really pro-resident. And I say that as someone who's been involved with like different parts of CHA programs, trying to get people into housing programs and stuff like that. Um, but instead of doing that, they're just sort of like billionaire Yeah. Soccer, public housing land. And like, that's sort of the level of analysis that they're willing
2: to get to with this.
0: Hmm. It's, it's a lot, honestly, first of all, this article, like I'm someone that's not too, like, I, like, I understand the whole, like the the issue, not just here in Chicago, but in like the U S in general, when it comes to housing, um, it's a big problem and it's becoming, you know, a, in, especially in today's economy, a, a very much a problem. But it's like we we just live in a soci- we live in a society um, where just nothing can get done. And like you mentioned, the fact that something is finally being built after you know years plus of nothing happening is at this point you know a win in some sorts. You know that something is finally be- that land is being put to use, and it is gonna give back to the community as well.
1: And it's being put to use in a way that one of the things that the CHA eventually pointed out when the feds helped them with their homework is that this isn't becoming a bunch of condos for wealthy people. It's becoming a training facility which really Mm -hmm. won't affect adjacent property values that much one way or another. You know, it's not like, oh, wow, there's this, like, super nice restaurant row next to us or, oh, no, there's this terrible, like, ISR industrial facility next to us. Like, I feel like the fires practice facility as like a, an asset for someone trying to buy market rate housing in the area. It's just sort of like, mm-hmm. okay, it's there. Like, it doesn't really affect traffic. It doesn't like, it's just, it's very neutral. So it doesn't really support gentrification in the neighborhood, which is one of the things that the CHA pointed out
0: that, yeah, that if that was in other stuff
1: with land, it probably would have been like a pro-gentrification move mm-hmm. given the neighborhood and the dynamics.
0: Yeah, that was that was one thing I noticed that because it's it's true that there's a lot of neighborhoods that are being gentrified. Uh you know, look around and you see all these new buildings that are very much not going to be bought by people that, you know, that need them, rather by people that have a lot more assets. This this isn't the case, you know. This isn't how this isn't like, you know, really expensive housing. This is, you know, Facility that is supposed to also produ- provide opportunities and work for people in the community in the area, and I feel like what's disappointing is the fact that the f- I've always mentioned it in the past that especially like when I pass by Mount Bridgeview, good old Mount Bridgeview, driving down Harlem, and it's like you know we have a major league team who practices. You know, fairly outside, fairly far away from where they usually play being at Soldier Field. And just in general, you know, I don't know what goes on too much inside of the facilities at Seat Geek in Bridgeview, but it's like when you look at other teams that have a proper training facility and stuff like that, it's like it's 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 just unappealing. and i've always I've always thought about it, especially. In the last few years, when you had like bigger names like Wayne Rooney and and you know Bastian Schweinsteiger, of course, or like Zlatan, that was like you know these are big name players that have had such a career, and they're going, they're they're probably driving down Harlem to 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 uh, to Sieg and whatnot. So it's it's like yay, we have a training facility, but it's like you know at what cost? And it's I, I'm basically not trying to let this get me too down you know because that's what the article kind of was like it was trying to really put people put the whole idea of the training facility at the near west side but try to put them yeah i'm sorry that i'm (laughs) i've got i've gotten to to that
1: rambling state it's it's one of those things where like there's been a lot of stories about people not investing in the city of chicago particularly since the pandemic and we here we have joe Mansueto who is deliberately doing that and in you know, I mean, again, it's a way that like there are going to be people that are working in that facility nine to five every day. There's going to be trainers, there's going to be people maintaining the facility, there's going to be the like culinary staff and stuff like that. But uh, you know, he's investing in the city of Chicago at a time when there's not as many stories doing that. So, and again, like it, it just seems like I don't want to focus too much on why the block club is reporting this. Like, generally speaking. I think that they've done a really good job reporting local news stories in a way that doesn't get reported enough Mm -hmm. and in a way that's sort of what Men in Red has tried to do to try to make sure that the fire have good coverage so that the stories about the fire, about the people around the fire um, get told in a way that that is really appropriate for the interest of the story and because there was a passionate community around it. So In that way, I think there's a lot in common. I, I, I just think that The reporting around this has sort of been lacking and some of the analysis around some of their their reporting hasn't been there. Um, But regardless, as it stands right now, I mean, the facility is still ongoing. There's a lawsuit pending, but it it hasn't halted construction or anything like that. And it still looks like the facility's uh, slated to open sometime next year. So, you know, it's good for all of us.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, DJ, you've been a bit quiet. Do you want to add anything on that or...
2: Uh no. <laughs> okay, that's that's perfectly fine. Uh, in all honesty, the way I think of it is, it's Chicago. Yeah. Like <laughs> when I every when I lived up in Illinois, when I lived up in Chicago in uh, Park Forest, it was like oh, I, I, nothing shocks me when it comes to just anything like that. Like stuff doesn't get built. I mean, if I remember correctly, the town I lived in, it took them about 20 years to tear down a Macy's that had been abandoned. Damn. And I, I'm i pretty sure there's actually the building that the grocery store that I used to go to all the time that closed down when I was a kid is still sitting there just not doing anything.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So
2: no, nothing shocks me with things getting postponed <laughs> and not being built or not being turned
0: Yeah, I mean, just so. like anyone that, who's anyone that travels using like the CTA can also attest that that's there's, even though right now they're doing a lot of work in terms of renovating or updating, it's still fairly behind. So, yeah, I, I can agree on that. Alright. Have we, have we said what we wanted to say on this topic before we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Alright, let us move on. So... Um, we didn't talk too much about Club America and that game specifically last time because we wanted to focus a lot on um on the kick or kick, uh, keep or kick. I'm sorry, I don't know how to speak this language, keep or kick um that we did that lasted for about two hours, lol. Um, so we can talk a bit more about that. Um of course we mentioned the 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 situation of fan behavior. There were a few people that decided that it would be okay if they ran on the pitch, whether they were fire people or whether they were America people. It so much so became a problem um, even when America moved past against Nashville that actually Nashville, ahead of their Monterey game, put out that there will be a $15,000 fine for anyone that pitch invades um, their game. So... Yeah, it, it was it was just as well
1: as a ban from any MLS venues in the future, and you know, that's exclusive of the potential for patent like whatever possible criminal charges may be involved.
0: Yeah. And um Yeah, um in terms of the actual game and the on-field performance, before the game, uh the the club president, um, he was walking around the tailgate and he did come up to where we were at the Fambulance and we were talking and he said that Frankie was going to put out an A-team. Um, I remember us joking around whether he was going to put out hit an, and quote-unquote A-team or A-team. If, you know, is, the, is the A capital or is it lowercase, essentially? And I feel it was more towards the lowercase. Um, I remember when... The content team came around. They were doing like interviews to for to record to put in the video. Uh, if the fire did win, and I remember they were like, "Do you have anything to say to the team or to Frankie?" And I said, "Frankie, you have unfinished business against America." And I think um, I feel like Klopas didn't exactly put in like a full, like 100% full-fledged squad, um, I mean, a, a, one hundred percent, full fledged squad in this one. Who do you
1: think was missing from that squad, though? Because even when like, Tekumara was out with a family issue, so he wasn't available to start a striker. So, uh, Yorios Koutsias was the guy that got the nod. So, it was going to be him or Casper. Um, I, I feel like you can't really say that Casper should have started over Yorios. Um, Arsuke didn't start. Jonathan Dean did. I mean, that was maybe a judgment call. I, I don't know if he maybe. There was like maybe a little bit of an injury concern. Obviously, Suke was subbed on at some point. Um, Jairo Torres started instead of Marin Haile Selassie, which I mean, again, like Marin had just played 90 the, the match before. Like, it it wasn't a bad squad, I don't think. Like, I, I don't necessarily think that that would have been the squad I necessarily would have chosen, but I mean, I think that it was a decent job.
0: I it, it was okay, though, I felt that maybe some players could have been switched around, like those who played majority for Puebla could have played less in anticipation for Club America. That's, I don't know, that's just what I saw I mean, in the I mean,
1: moment. We've got to keep in mind is that it, the fire knew going into the game against Puebla, that if they got a single point, they would top the group. And the belief was if you top the group, you'd be playing Columbus because everyone thought that America was going to beat the Columbus crew, when it turns out that the crew just completely knocked around Club America like a viñata. So, that may have been a factor as well, you know, I mean, I, again, like, I, I don't necessarily know, like, yes, you could say that like, maybe, like, and Haile Selassie should have played differently, um, like, maybe, like, Hyrule shouldn't have started, like, there, there's, like, quibbles you can make but i think on the whole it was a pretty solid lineup it just and and to be honest like i don't think that they really did a bad job all things considered like there was a goal that was called off i think that was a little bit arbitrary um you know at least i think it should have gotten a var the fire had pressure in the final minutes which unfortunately were cut short a little bit because of the number of things that were happening from fans throwing things onto the pitch and apparently the abuse being hurled at Carlos they're on but yeah. you know I mean, it it wasn't a terrible performance I mean it, it's obviously not the result that we wanted I just don't I, I just you know if anything the thing I will say is that the fire's tactics did lose something to be desired because uh, the team was playing very conservatively throughout the match yeah. they were playing not to lose rather than to win and I think if they played to win they had a better chance at you know, taking it to America.
0: I think that's something I've just been le- I've just been wishing to see more, because I- I've said it in previous games. Um, that happened. I- I'm pretty sure also at SeatGeek. Um, I- I'm sp- I'm very much thinking of the Houston game, where the Fire also very much played conservatively in that one. I always mentioned that instead of really just pushing for you know, rather pushing forward, they always just conservatively tried to play through the wings, through the center. And it's it's hard for me to describe. It's that, I've mentioned it several times, like that horseshoe, that it just goes in that little U shape. And, And I feel like just the way that the fire have been playing and the way that a lot of players have trouble in terms of keeping, like in terms of passing the ball, I feel like a lot of touches are just super heavy or just not done correctly and also counterattacks have been just another thing like throughout the game with America I feel like any um, any time that the fire had the possibility to go on the counter it would just be immediately just like taken down or, like I'm pretty sure there was a moment where Katzberg got the ball back and he was starting to move on the counter and it just immediately fell apart I feel like yeah, maybe I mean, the reason why I was uh, fairly disappointed with Maybe it's because I feel like it's always the same players, and especially like those ones that I didn't expect to be on the starting eleven to just not uh, to just not put in that performance. Which like which what like which you name one? No, I mean Hyro for
1: one. Okay. I don't yeah, I feel like I think that's the one. If you want to if you want to pick somebody out, as I said, he had a decent game um, the match before against Pablo and, and to be fair, he is legitimately the only player on the Flyers roster who had played Club America and had beaten them. So, there's that aspect. Yeah. I, I mean, like Russ is a vibes guy, but the other thing to get to your other point, you know, Jiggly said this, like, for a guy who played as a striker in his professional career, when he's coaching a game, he plays a very conservative brand of football when it comes to matches that are highly competitive. And, I mean, we saw that, I mean, that's really the way that the you know, Montreal Impact at that point played when he was coaching them against Club America back in the CONCACAF Champions League final. I mean, it's it's the same Klopas. It's the same, you know, when you don't know if you can win, you play as defensively as you can. You try not to make mistakes. And I think that that's just kind of who he is as a as a coach and as a person. Like, he prepares for games meticulously. But the way that he does that, it's to try to avoid making mistakes rather than to try to capitalize on someone else's mistakes.
0: Yeah, I just feel like that the squad that we have just makes too many mistakes in order to execute exactly what Klopas is doing now. Well, because I, I can't attest to like how well the fire have been playing in terms of those wins that we had in the month I was gone in Italy because there were wins and I would watch highlights and I would see, you know, fl- you know, moments of, of brilliance, essentially, of like players being at the right place of the right time. And I, you know, coming back and the Leagues Cup started, you know, in those games, I didn't see exactly much of that. And then like against Minnesota, it was very on and off. Like we had those moments where, yes, people are at the right place at the right time but then they would just shut off. And I feel like they've just been more and more shutting off. And like when I would watch the fire play against Puebla and watch them play against America, it's like, is this the same team that won, what, five out of six whilst I was gone? I think that's what was like going through my mind. And it's... Yeah, I mean,
1: that's fair. I mean, like winning five out of six again was kind of exceptional, but you also have to think about the law of averages and the fact that like the team had dropped points in ways that were almost becoming, like, yakety sacks playing in the background level comical earlier in the season. So, it's, I mean, you could say that it's, like, a lucky stretch, but then you have to say the team was unlucky earlier, and eventually you just start playing, like, you know, mental games with, like, some of the numbers that you're that you're putting things in. I mean, look, I, the push comes to shove about the whole thing, ultimately, for me, is that we had some decent chances despite playing a very conservative game against the biggest team on the continent. Not necessarily saying the best, but like the biggest team, the team that's like the New York Yankees of of soccer on this continent. Um, and one of the three or four biggest, frankly, in this hemisphere. And we lost one nothing off a game that it, it feels like we weren't really in it to win it, but at the same mm-hmm. time, we had some good chances and really could have won it.
0: I like I said, this is the reason I, I feel especially down about it. Is basically because you know this, this this team was winning whilst I was gone, and all of a sudden I come back and I don't really see that. I think that's probably why I was hoping that I would come back and see more of that positive result. So I think that's why I'm pretty sure Uri, uh jokingly uh, at the Puebla game, mentioned that he he would buy me a one way ticket back to Italy. <laughs> <laughs> something yeah, so.
1: I'm, I'm really gonna on that if that's what it takes. But I honestly,
0: I don't think that's the issue. No, I, I, don't, I am. Am I the problem? Or some people might say it might be me. What was it? No, I made it. I made a Taylor Swift reference in the episode before the Club America game. Oh so, God! I know. So, hopefully, that also wasn't it but yeah now i i'm looking over like the stats and you can definitely tell you know the fire officially didn't record any shots uh, whatsoever and only had 27% possession so you know it it, it was a bit it, it was a bit of a you know rough one to say in terms of actually watching the game for the most part i was vibing with barn burners playing on the drums um I do. I did get a few blisters on my right hand before halftime, and I went over to the uh, to the first aid place, and I was like, "Y'all got bandages?" and they were like, "They were like, what happened? Did you fall?" and I was like, "No, I just drummed a bit too close to the sun." They were like, "Fair enough." So, that 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 aspect was really fun. So, hopefully, I will continue uh, taking what I learned in my percussion class at the the Paul School of Music and using that. What what is what is funny. And it's—I will ask if you guys are okay with transitioning away from Club America before we yeah. DJ. Yeah, I think we. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, we
2: yeah. I th- yeah. I think it's pretty dead now.
0: Okay, but um, the transition was that you know, uh, you know that I do go to the School of Music, and I actually recently to Paul School of Music, and I recently got an email from our choir director saying, "Is the Chicago Fire going to play against Messi?" like legitimately like that was the email that was the email and i responded to him saying oh yeah the fire's going to be playing um the fire's going to be playing miami like midweek in october like i think the fourth um and whatnot i did tell him that tickets are probably going to be a bit hard to get slash a bit expensive and he was like well, if, if I can find anything, uh, I'll invite you into my, my posse or something like that for, for around my much you usually pay. And I was like, wow. That's how big the messy effect is. You know, because my choir director isn't someone that usually thinks about sports. You know, we we went to a Bulls game together when, he, when uh, I sang the national anthem there. And, you know, that was a pretty cool experience. But it's like, There's a lot more, a lot of people talking about Messi now, especially now that he's in MLS. And I wanted to talk a bit about, you know, the Messi effect. Um, as of as we're recording this, uh, just a while ago, um, Miami very easily, honestly, slid past Philadelphia Union to make it to the final, which basically puts them into uh, the CONCACAF. Champions Cup for next season. I mean,
1: not basically, I mean it, it does officially well, basically official. Basically official. Yeah.
0: There. Yeah. 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 Because like uh, like I mentioned a few episodes ago, if you make it to the final regardless, you are in it's whether you win or not is where you I'm pretty sure you're if you get the round of, of sixteen, yeah. Yeah, you get to round sixteen if you win, you're in the group stage if you don't, as well as the person who wins third place is in the group stage. So the messy effect. So Oh, we've been feeling it, you know, for a hot minute, you know, we've been seeing um the rumors is Messi going to come to Miami and it just grew ever so closer and nearer and nearer and pretty much within 30 minutes of like the rumors of basically right before Fabrizio Romano clicked, he, uh, you know, here we go. It was the t- the normal tickets for fire games were gone. They were just poom gone. And um the resales went into the hundreds. I'm pretty sure even the thousands, if I'm correct.
2: Some yes, sure tickets for
1: over $1,000.
0: So, you know, and then, you know, the official here we go happened. And, you know, those tickets are just... just, They're just incredible, honestly. Like, something that you usually see for, like, NFL games. Or, like, not even just NFL games, but, like, really big NFL games. So, like, Bears versus Packers expensive. And yeah or, or, or I mean even higher in some cases to be honest. Um, yeah Someone mentioned um, I remember in the Chicago Fire Discord that they did manage to get a ticket of some kind from a Miami game in Miami and that supporters seats for Miami costed over 150 dollars. Um, when I checked um, for the fire resales for supporter section were like in the four 500s. Um, yeah, but the thing that you're always dealing with the supporter section is it's like small, like people put
1: tickets out for a certain amount of money. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily getting it, so you have to like look at the size of the market with that. Yeah, but I mean the messy effect. I mean, so the the average price apparently for the game that is being that was played the night that we're recording, um, between the Union and Inter Miami. ESPN FC reported that the average price was five hundred and fifty-six dollars for a ticket to that game. Um, like the average price, I mean, they started at like the two hundreds. Um, supporters, so basically, people that were season ticket holders for the Union had an option before the season began where they could either like sign up for League's Cup as part of their deal, in which case they'd get it at their normal rate, or not. And those that did not had a pre-sale for like an hour where tickets started in like the two hundred dollar range.
0: Yeah. And our friend um, this week in MLS, Eli Lesser, made a video I'm pretty sure yesterday saying how a lot, uh, before the Philly game, how a lot of season ticket holders were taking advantage of how high these prices are. And I'm pretty sure this happened also with a lot of fire season ticket holders did this. Basically, they sold their one, like, one or something ticket for the game, and they were able to get back um, how much they paid, or even more, for an entire season ticket package, so much so that clubs um, had to stop, you know, f- f- fans from reselling their um, their season ticket because they were, you know, they were able to make make back everything that they put invested in a single ticket. So, um,
1: yeah, I would have got a lot of people, uh, you know, like including me, who just had extra tickets at the Miami game. Because it was a convenient game in mid October. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's, I will be very interested to see if this continues next year, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like one of those things where seeing something once is unique, but seeing it a second time is no longer unique. Um, and I don't know if the demand is going to be there after a year. Yeah. But,
0: well, I mean, we'll see. Um, another thing that had me thinking was something that uh, Rio Ferdinand said um, in an interview uh, specifically about how a lot of big European stars are now heading over to Saudi Arabia, and he said that Saudi Arabia uh, clears MLS, that it now has... that it's at a lot better... that basically that, that the Saudi Pro League is in a lot better sta- state than what MLS is, and I it had me thinking about, especially now with Messi coming over. Does the argument of quote MLS is the retirement league? Does that does that stand essentially with Messi coming over here? Because we know that in his contract, he does get like a certain percentage of ownership in Inter Miami once he does retire, I'm pretty sure that was something like that. 100%. Is the reported amount, yeah. Yeah. So... Is it just it, 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 it a mistake in the
1: future of the league, as kind of an ambassador and other things? I don't know if mm-hmm. it's enough to really shift the needle tremendously given his commercial value now, but it might yeah. be in the future, I think is the bet. Yeah. I, I and mean, the other thing is, like, in terms of MLS being a retirement league, uh, there was a report in the Athletic that I think it was like something like fifteen percent of the minutes in MLS over the past season were played by um, players that were twenty-one years or old or younger, which was higher than it is in any of the top five. So it's either a retirement league or a nursery league, but like it can't be both at the same time,
0: right? No, and I'm pretty sure that MLS in the last few years have a lot of teams have moved away from teams uh, from you know, getting players that are sort of quote-unquote near retiring and rather are focusing on players that are coming up through the academy. Like, you know, you can argue against it with like saying, oh, what about Gerdan Shakiri?" and being like, okay, that's one player. But then you look at the amount of younger players that we've brought in through the ranks of the academy or that we've found um, that have also moved on. So, you know, you can always say Gaga, Selena, um, John Duran, or currently with Brian Gutierrez and Chris Brady, exactly. So, like you know, John Duran. I mean, he was one of the guys. He was on a Use
1: Twenty Two Initiative deal, which didn't exist until twenty twenty one, and so he. I mean, he's part of that kind of initial class of players that were this idea that the league could become a selling league just by being a place to give skilled players minutes, and I think that has been paying off. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think in terms of competition with the Saudi League, I mean, MoMA decided to play in Saudi Arabia rather than MLS. I I think that there were people in MLS circles that really believed there was a legitimate chance that MLS had for him. It turns out that he moved to Saudi Arabia on a $100 million transfer fee, and obviously just given the transfer window in MLS, if there was any transfer fee attached whatsoever, that wouldn't have been a possibility for this summer, and everything all the indications seem to be PSG wanted Neymar gone, and now and the rest was sort of secondary. But getting a transfer agreement that would have been wouldn't have been possible in MLS. But to me, the fact that he moved to the Saudi league more than anything else just shows that he's willing to admit that he's passed his prime. More than it says something about the Saudi league really kind of taking a step forward in terms of his competitiveness. Yeah, separately, I mean the Saudi league definitely has become better. I mean, like you can't add that level of talent like they've done in the past couple of months without becoming a much better league. But it's still the thing is, it's it's like planting a tree in in sand rather than in soil that has been like sort of built up to be fertile for it. Right. Like MLS floundered for a while in the initial years, but eventually the ship was righted and now you've got things like academy programs and soccer specific stadia that have been built and stuff like that and you've got this organic support so like not only does MLS have this tree growing above the ground but it's got those roots below the ground yeah and Saudi league I mean it's a ton of money that's being invested but like that could go away in six months a week or a year or a couple years and there could never be another major European signing in the Saudi League
0: I mean like, but, like, I mean look what at what happened have. with the Chinese super league you know that was a league that invested in a few players Players gave them heavy contracts and it's not relevant anymore and I was wondering whether basically whether Saudi Arabia is going to be the same thing like are they going to take what they get from these big European players and start investing in their own players their own teams their own like their own system or whether they're going to continue thinking that with getting these relevant still relevant players that their league will be relevant so.
1: And I think that, like, to be fair, like, there is a big difference between the Saudi Super League and what's been going on in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia really has invested in the domestic game in a variety of ways. Like, They made the World Cup for the first time in 1994. Um, I don't think that China has ever made us the Senior Men's World Cup. Um, and they've continued to invest in the league domestically since then. And just the scale of, of the money going into Saudi Arabia... Dwarfs the amount that the Chinese Super League ever invested. So it's a it's a different scale, and there has been a lot more investment in Saudi Arabia in the past, and there probably will be. And the thing in Saudi Arabia is that it's getting it's supported by the state. It yeah. is explicitly state supported. And the issue in China, I mean, and ironically, I've never lived in Saudi Arabia. I I lived next door in Bahrain for a number of years, and I have a number of Saudi friends um and i lived in china for a while i mean you're you're talking about two countries where like the will of the state matters a tremendous deal and the issue in china was that the communist party was sort of circumspect about the notion that these clubs were getting kind of like big and important and sort of distracting people from things and so they were given explicit orders more or less to stop spending that kind of money on something as silly as soccer
0: yeah um First of all, wow, you're a really well well round well, well, traveled person. That's really cool. Second, um, Nashville just scored against Monterey again, so it is one 1-0 for them again as as we speak. And you know, because it's like it, it, I mentioned, we're going to talk about fire, and it's like how is Ma- Messi or like the Saudi, you know, pro league with the fu- relevant to the fire. And I feel like for me, as someone that is, you know, I'm still young. I'm am baby. Um, I'm, I'm going to finish university in like a year. And it's like you're one going thing to that. Finish university? What? In Helsinki? Or you're going to a finish university? No, I'm going to fin. I'm going to finish. Know, I'm, I'm going to, to, to wrap up my time in university or in college in about a year. And I think that's one of the aspects that I liked about specifically about MLS is just that it's, or like just in general, like here with the fire, it's that it's affordable. And it's something that i can easily invest my time as well as the resources i have because i feel like with the reasons why i haven't gotten really into other sports especially like you know like hockey or like football basketball and stuff like that is because it's a bit it's expensive to get into and i just feel like that market and the fans as well aren't the same as they are in soccer or because i feel like what's what's beautiful about mls is that it takes the worldwide aspect and fandom of soccer and football, or whatever you call it, and just gives that hint of Americanism, that little little bit of American spice, or however you would say to it. And basically, I wouldn't want. Basically, i I'm, my fear is getting outpriced, you know, because I'm already not planning on going to the Miami game because I simply don't have the resources to go with that. So, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like that's like my one big thing on it, and it's like you know Messi can't do anything about it because you know it, it's it's just who he is, and it's like he made that success of his, you know, by, by his own hands or feet. Would you you could even say, you know, it, it's it's just weird that now going to Fire Games, you have people, you know, peddling Messi Miami jerseys. I remember at one point after. I think it was the Puebla game where I walked up to one and I was like, wow, we're in Miami. And they're like, what? And I was like, we're in Miami. And they're like, no, we're in Chicago. And I was like, then why are you selling Miami jerseys? It's like, just, I, I guess that's. Yeah. I mean, and,
1: and Jiggly, by the way, I'd like to point everyone out yes. to uh, Jiggly's uh, column on Amen I ninety seven 97.com where he got in the past two weeks, actually, he's kind of touched on a couple of those those issues. Um, and I think that his, his perspectives are really valid and worth reading. Um, and I don't want to try to just, like, speak for him um, through here. But I think that if you're interested in those topics, uh, I think that they're definitely worth a good
0: read. Absolutely. Yeah, no, Jiggly does have that. He does have a... He has an article on Men in Red, 97.com. Go check that out as well as the other articles we have on there. Um, yeah, that, that's basically my, like, big opinion on it, is that I... I, I want to see how long this lasts. Like how long is Miami going to be essentially like the LA Lakers of MLS where no matter where you are or who you are, you're going to be, you know? So I think that the, the question,
1: honestly, to a certain extent becomes, are they the LA Lakers of MLS or are they the Harlem Globetrotters of MLS and the rest of mm. us are just the Washington Generals? And And I <laughs> think that they're really two different things. And I think that they make people look at the league differently. And I think that they do different things for the future of the league. Because it, if they're the LA Lakers, I think that to a certain extent, like dynasties can be good for a league. They can be good for a sport. Because they give people something to keep on watching and be a fan of. And like, not going to lie, as someone that's, you know, not a Miami fan, I, I would hate it. But like, that could be a good thing. If they're the Harlem Globetrotters, it's an incredibly different story. because then it just makes the league look like a joke.
2: Yeah.
1: And and it makes all of us for supporting other teams look like a joke. So I, I think that it becomes an open question of, especially when there's discussions, you know, there's rumors that there may be some changes to the way that the roster rules are structured. Um, and I think the question is, does that happen in a way that allows other teams to catch up? Because I think that it is possible that teams could spend about what Miami is spending on Messi alone, not including those other side deals and stuff like that. Like the, the ones that he has with Adidas, the ones that he has with Apple TV. Just literally what Jorge Mas is paying um, for Messi's salary. And you could beat a team that would not only beat Messi, but would beat you know the entire inter-Miami squad for the same amount of money they're using on one player. But right now, you can't spend that money in a fair way. So... I guess we'll see how that shapes up. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, and I like the way you put it with, you know, whether they're going to be the Lakers or whether they're going to be the Globe Trotters. I mean, I recently saw a TikTok that was like, MLS fans are probably the most insecure fans out of any of like the major leagues here, mainly because of the fact that we constantly have to deal with just talk from other fans, whether it's, fans of the other four major leagues saying that soccer is irrelevant and that no one cares or whether it's what uh, some people call Euro snobs, people in America that do care about soccer, but only European um, and saying that MLS is, you know, it's not good and stuff like that. As well as... the one
1: way you can actually turn on to watch on TV that is not the best league in the world in a sport. And that puts it in a unique position in, in North American sports.
0: Yeah. Or like with European fans, of course, you always. Uh, well, always...
1: Not just yeah, exactly, but like, not just European fans, but like Liga Mekis is the most watched league in the United States in, in, for soccer. So like MLS is the third most watched league in the sport in soccer. It and no one can realistically claim that MLS is the best soccer league in the world. No. Oh. Everyone knows that MLB is the best baseball league in the world. Yeah. The NFL, I mean, it's pretty much... Deep. Well, I mean, it's it's that or the Canadian Football League, basically, for pro football leagues. Everyone knows the NFL is the best. Everyone knows that MLB is the best. Everyone knows the NBA is the best. Everyone knows the NHL is the best. And this is the one where everyone knows that MLS is not the best. And that puts it in a different position.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's just something that has been really just scratching my brain in, in, in terms of, you know... What 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 pro what prolonged effect is Messi going to give?
1: Yeah, I think that's an open question because it really could be. You know, it's easy to look back and not realize this, but in a way, David Beckham did kind of save MLS at a time when it was still flailing. I mean, it wasn't just David Beckham. Like before that, really. I mean, as much as we don't like AEG in Chicago because of what they did for the you know, fire selling them eventually to Hotman, And and they were always like the, the second child in, in terms of their priorities. But like they owned six teams at one point in MLS, like the, the league had technically failed at one point. And then they were brought back basically from the dead resurrected. Um, And it grew stronger, but it wasn't really that relevant. And until David Beckham came and then that got the league back on local TV show, because, like, you know, it, it, before that, your team didn't make the news if they were playing the LA Galaxy, but suddenly they were playing David Beckham in the LA Galaxy, and they did. Mm. Um, and that was just fundamentally a different thing, and I think the question is, does does Messi help the league take the next step, or is he a flash in the pan, or is he even kind of step backwards that just cements this idea of this place where, like, good players kind of go to retire
0: yeah dj do you want to say anything about that but before you do i just wanted to mention that there's a monterey player that's shirt number is 207 that's what i, I just got
1: work? multiple tweets about this that's not legal in most north american sports by the way <laughs> it's just barely legal in Liga in that case.
0: that's so funny i just mm. i just i looked because I saw the sub board only showed the number five, and I was like, "What?" And then I saw the bag of the shirt, and I was like, "Wait a minute, that's one digit too many." So, anyways, DJ, um, mm-hmm. y- you've been fairly quiet tonight. Uh, do you have any profound thoughts? Did you want to say about this?
2: I'm going to pretty much say it right now: Messi joining MLS is going to be one of the best signings in the league's history. At the end of the day. The best player in the world coming to—it's basically like Pele in the NASL. Yes, the NASL folded a few years later for other reasons. But Messi coming basically is forcing the league to say, "Okay, we've got to update our policies. We've got to update the roster. We've got to update the salaries. We got to update all of this because clubs now need to compete with Messi. They can't just compete with." Jesus Ferreira and a bunch of other guys. You got Lionel Messi in this club now. You got a club that has three of the best players in the world in their primes. You need to update the roster cap. Yeah, and at this point,
1: and the question is, how does that happen? Because Jorge Moss, the owner of Inter Miami, has been one of the guys that was pressing for liberalization of the roster rules. But as far as we can, t- I mean the the Jordy Alba deal seems questionable whether or not he went from making $20 million a year last year to making under 1.6 in MLS on a TAM deal. But um, other than that, I mean, it it just seems like everything does look like it is complying with the roster rules. Um,
2: I get get the feeling that a good chunk of it is that he basically told them, listen, I'm not going to pay you much this year. But we're getting updated next year no matter what so yeah, i mean that technically wouldn't be i mean that wouldn't be legal under the ml like it,
1: he is under contract through next year and he can't be paid that much more because it's amortized over the length of the deal what there's rumors about what happened with um with uh ibrahimovic when he came like that zlatan came and was on a tam deal at first but Eventually, he was able to buy his boyhood club in Sweden for we don't know how much money because it was owned by the same people. So, like, was that a sweetheart deal? Um, But other than that, though, Inter-Miami was built using current roster rules more or less. Maybe you have to squint and, like, have to suspend disbelief a little bit. Um, The thing is, like, there isn't another Messi that another team can sign. Like however much they want there to be, like there's one messy, and so I think the question is, does it just do we go more towards the same, like more DPS and stuff like that, that probably end up helping teams like Miami or like one of the L's um, more than anyone else, or do we start liberalizing the rules and and then actually allow for a more realistic sort of like roster spend because as it stands right now in MLS, the average for like number nine center forward makes 150% more than the average center back. And in the premier league, it's 33% more just to give an example.
0: Money. So,
2: it's always about the money. Exactly. So it's like
1: how the, because right right now in MLS, the Ross rules make it so that you have to spend your money. almost all of it on a couple of the players. um, And it makes for an inefficient roster spend. I I think that we've seen that like what's happening in the League's Cup notwithstanding in the CONCACAF Champions League and now Cup um, year after year where teams that spend significantly less than the MLS teams on their roster on the whole end up having better results. And part of it is that they're in mid-season form when the MLS teams are in early-season form. But the other part of it is they can spread it around the way that they want and MLS teams just can't.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, what a it, it, MLS in terms of like roster rules and like how teams spend their money always it's, it's, it's still it's still got my head in a twist. I mean well, I'm Miami, I'm a nerd about it. Like that's the thing. Like I love I mean, it, and, and that's, that's why so we nice love being you being totally here. Yeah, that's why we love you being on the show because you can definitely go into detail about stuff that I definitely can't talk about. And it's like Miami's already been pushing in terms of the roster things before Messi. I mean what they had that whole situation where they technically had four DPs at one point. Five. Five, five. DPs at one point.
1: They were two, and then they were like, oh yeah, we're gonna look into this and they found one more.
0: Jesus H. Roosevelt Christ. Um yeah, so I I because I've always heard the 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 argument of MLS should loosen the in terms of like caps and like salaries in terms of like deep and whatnot to make it more competitive with other leagues, whilst you know because I don't know they're trying to keep into and in close to the system of what's here in the states that it's supposed to be a bit more well, fair. A simple
1: way to do that though, like you do what other leagues do in the, in the United States, where you can have a roster floor and a roster ceiling. You have a minimum salary amount. Um, some leagues have a maximum salary amount. I don't think that would fly in MLS, just because again we're not the biggest fish in this pond. We're we in North America. We are in pretty much every other league, and you just give teams like so Toronto FC actually before Miami signed um, Messi were the biggest spenders in the league at twenty five million um, this year, which is mm-hmm. around what Club America is spending. And the thing is. Toronto FC are terrible because they're spending all of it on a couple of old Italian guys that are not really playing. Mm-hmm. So it's not really... It's, it's one of these weird things where it's not... It's... The DP rule was designed to bring players in that would bring increased visibility to the league. Right? Yeah. So, I mean... And then teams got better when they started using the DP rule to bring in guys... That would be better contributors rather than big names. Cause it went from being one DP to two to two. And you could have a third to now you can just have three. And then they started adding stuff like Tam and like, you just keep on, it's like having a small shack that you keep on building extensions onto. And eventually you realize like the layout of this house makes no sense whatsoever. And I think that's where the league is. Cause a lot of teams are spending a lot of money on their squads. But they're not really doing it in a way that makes for the best soccer.
0: I mean, there's one name that I think can think about um, with the fire in terms of who we're spending a lot of money on. That's not really contributing much to, and it's the person that I have as my my Discord background.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and let's say like that's I mean that's like a million. Dollars. So Casper Shibulko, by the way, is is his background for those of us that you know those everyone other than us that can't see it, but. I mean that's like three million dollars, which that that's the other thing is that the Fires roster build is hamstrung by the fact that despite spending fifteen to twenty million dollars a year on on players or more, depending on exactly how you count transfer fees and stuff like that, us spending a million dollars, one million dollar, like one twentieth of the roster spend on Casper is hampering their uh, has hampered their ability for the past year and a half to sign another center forward for the same amount of money because that's the way the MLS roster rules crumble you can't just sign a guy for a million dollars and say this didn't work out we're going to sign a guy for a million dollars again even if that's affordable according to the other team's budget
0: MLS roster rules are weird yep they are it's weird and complex DJ do you have anything to add on it no, nope, that's it. No, you've been a bit quiet this episode, DJ. Everything good?
2: I'm tired. Oh, you're just, forever, you're just we are,
1: it's nearing 11 p.m. for DJ as we're oh. recording this, so yeah. I'm sorry, yeah, maybe a or So, shall we? Are we ready to move on?
2: Yes, it's uh, yours. Um, actually, oh, all right, everybody, I gotta go. There is a giant gator in my room, I need to take care of it real quick. Bye. Oh, no, giant gator in the
0: room. All right. <laughs> this is this is fantastic news um, yeah we normally we normally do our recordings a bit earlier in the day but because of scheduling things we get to do it later and so me and Tim will finish up with our little mini preview to Orlando which is um, our first game back in MLS after Leagues Cup Um Orlando, who are currently fifth in the Eastern Conference, uh, prior to League's Cup, they were on a form of three wins, one draw, and one loss. In the League's Cup, they did top their group with two wins. They had a 1-1 win after regulation, so that was two points. And then they had a 3-2 win against Santos uh, Langua. Um, And then afterwards, in the round of 32, they did inevitably drop out to... Enter Miami. So, yeah, and the last fi- uh, last game between the two resulted in a 3-1 Orlando win, and I'm pretty sure the last two games the Fire have played against Orlando, there has been a red card on the Fire side. So, it's been very interesting yeah, all to say the least. Are
1: true. Um, as it stands overall, the Fire have a record, according to my count, and I'm not 100% sure on this, but uh, seven wins against Orlando, six draws, and six losses. Mm-hmm. So, if the Fire win or draw, they will maintain the edge in the series. If they lose, it will be even. Um, but, you know, the, the Fire do have a good record at home against Orlando. Um, and the Fire have a good record at home overall. Like, they they still really only have the one loss at Soldier Field. Yeah, um, the one where I was at
0: <laughs> before going to yeah. Italy, so... <laughs>
1: yeah, um, so we, we may actually... I don't know if I can. Um, I can't afford to just send you to Italy for the game, but I can give you a gift card to Italy.
0: Oh, I've, uh, I saw an uh, ad for that earlier.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, well, you go. You get some pasta. Get some prosecco.
0: Yeah. Um, no. I'll. I'll get. You know. I'll, maybe even beforehand. I'll. I'll get an. I'll drink some aperol spritz. My no.
1: No. No. The point is, we're going to keep you there until after the <laughs> until after the final whistle blows. So.
0: Okay. I guess. Geez, I thought I could go to the game, but I guess not. But um, this is my life now, ladies and gentlemen.
1: You know, actually we have to just maybe we'll let you in the second half. Uh, we'll we'll see how the fire are doing, and if the fire if the game seems already decided, um, or even if it's drawn, like if they lose after you show up, we'll just know that you're bad luck, and that'll be oh my that. God. That'll be
0: the end. I feel like there's so many factors of in terms of whether people are there or not that. Results in it. I feel like Orion Matt are also. I I feel like they have their own things about whether they're there or not. Uh, there's another Monterey player who's in triple digits. This one's two hundred and ten. <laughs> it's just so weird. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say it's, that um, it's a
1: whole different league over there.
0: I know that's just that's just so weird. Like how how why why do you need to why do you feel they need to do that? One thing I do want to say is. Um, I'm just really hoping this, this, this game goes well. Um, like you mentioned, we have a good, we have a good record at home as currently, even with the Columbus game, uh, at Soldier Field that is, and, and as well as in recent times against Orlando, I'm pretty sure there was another game where we won three, one at, I think I remember there being a three, one win for the fire at Soldier Field a while back. So I do remember that. Yeah.
1: and I mean, the fire So at this point the number of points that you need to get to the playoffs varies every year. And and obviously it looks like Miami is going to be making a hard charging run from last place in the east to potentially playoff contention, which if they push themselves up, that means everyone else has to get pushed up. Either it just raises the bar a little bit. But as it stands right now, most years historically, the fire would need to get about one point per game in their final eleven games to make the playoffs, which I mean, a a point per game is that, you know, Fires record, um, you know, historically in 2020, 2021. So that's not a lot to be asking, but then you start actually breaking it down game by game and you realize that, like, you need to get some wins. You need to win at home. You need to not, you know, get blown out away. And that starts adding things up together. Yeah. But getting a win their first game back does a huge amount for really solidifying the team's position going forward. It just takes pressure off the rest of the season because the Fire have five remaining home games. um One of the games is against Inter Miami. One of the games is against New England, who currently sit second in the East and second in the league. So, just the the ability to win that first game back really does make the rest of the season simpler and just takes pressure off. Yeah. Um, and it does seem like a winnable game for the fire, to be honest. Um, like Oscar Pereja's squad is is a good one. Like they they play an interesting brand of soccer. They, they they attack pretty well, but they definitely have flaws as a team. And I think that right now, like where they are fifth in the east, like that basically seems like the best version of themselves in a way. Like that like that just seems like they're close to their ceiling. And I think the fire have been closer to their floor than their ceiling for a long time.
0: Yeah and uh, currently the fire sit eighth in the conference um with 8 wins 8 draws and 7 losses with 32 points and it's all fairly close in terms of points the only team that's really like really really running away that is that's which is that's cincinnati they they're with 51 and then right after new england only have 43 so they're they're really the only ones that are like truly running away it's fairly close with the other teams so yeah, I mean, look, like, you know, it's, it's MLS, like, I mean, potentially
1: other than Miami, if they keep on playing the way they've been playing, like, even Miami, like, they, they certainly have flaws. Like, the issue with Miami is that they've been able to play a conjurer's trick so far, where they make you focus on, like, the shiny thing over here, and then the shiny thing over there, and then they score on you, and you don't realize the fact that you're still playing against a defense that's pretty porous.
0: Or oh, Yeah, um, I mean, you look at some of the games that Miami have already played, I think this game... Um, that they just played against the Philadelphia Union. Um, Sean, uh, no, uh, gosh, Blake. Their, uh, the Philadelphia goalkeeper has made Andre
1: a f- Blake had, Andre, Andre Blake
0: had probably the worst game of his life. Yeah. I mean, it was. I don't know why I said Sean. Was I was thinking of Sean Johnson yeah, yeah, for some reason. Good. Um, but yeah, and then the game against Dallas, you had the one defender who it, I think switched sides for Messi's one for one of Messi's free kicks. Um, heading it in as if it was scoring against Miami instead it was going for Miami. Well, I mean, I w- that
1: was a draw, right? Like that, that's the question, is that one team has really kind of like been willing, because the Union, the game that they played against Miami, and I know we just talked about this earlier, but like, mm-hmm. Jim Curtin basically threw out his normal game plan, which is normally very rehearsed, um, to play against Miami, and the game plan they like actually ran out didn't work the one team that really did play their game to their level well against Miami was FC Dallas. And, like, that ended up in a draw after 90 minutes. So, I mean, the question is, are are other teams better than FC Dallas playing inter-Miami to a draw? Is Is really the question. Like, can you be as good or better than FC Dallas? I feel like we could. Yeah, that's the transit property of football right there. Um, (laughs) And the transit. I know. know It doesn't really exist, but I I wish that it did. Um, (laughs) Back to the the Orlando game. I mean, it does seem like a winnable game for the Fire. A win would do a lot for the Fire's prospects for the rest of the season. And August is a pivotal month for the Fire because they have five remaining home games one in September, two in October. The two in October are within you know, a couple of days of each other because they play, um, enter Miami and then I believe that they play New England immediately following that. Um,
0: uh, the they, Saturday following. they, so they play, the, they so play New England the 23rd that. Right. and then that's in the, a week. That's the only yeah. September game. Yeah. Yeah. So they play,
1: they play New England as their only September home game. Um, then enter Miami on a Wednesday and then Charlotte the following Saturday. So these two games in August in a league where there's such a big home field advantage really do matter a lot.
0: Yeah. I, I, it just really sucked that a lot of our home games, I've mentioned this so many times I've lost track, to, that so many of our home games happened in the beginning of the season when it was just cold, miserable, as well as the fire, as, as well as their performance. So... Yeah, I mean, having said that, like, there's 11 games left, right? So,
1: and five are at home, and six are away. So it's not. I mean, that's as close to balance as you could be with an odd number. I guess it's just they come at weird, like they they just come at weird times, though, right? Like, yeah, like it's not like we're home one Saturday, then away the next Saturday, then home the next Saturday. It's like two home games in 10 days, then no home games until September 23rd.
0: Yeah, I mean, the fire have a like a. They have a, hold up, one, no, one, two, they have a three-game away stint against D.C., Montreal, and Columbus. So, at the, uh,
1: Yeah, at the beginning of September. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's going to be, that's the thing. Like, that's going to be, it looked really, I haven't said that, it looked really dangerous going into the, the more recent stretch of games after the international break, um, where the fire had that West... Post road trip and it just well I mean starting with Sporting Kansas City West Co- Western Conference then going up to Cascadia and then going to Orlando and it just looked like okay the Fire aren't going to win many of those and then they won two out of three and they looked great and the same thing could happen here um, but you just have to think you want to try to get points at home if you can
0: of course of course so do you have any any predictions in terms of score what like what might happen
1: you know, I mean, the funny thing is, like Orlando also kind of made an earlier exit from the league's cup, so both teams are going to be both very rust, like rested and probably rusted. So rest, rusted. Um, I'm kind of thinking that's going to make it a messy game for at least the first half or so. I've got a feeling it's going to be a two-one game, and I, I think I think it's going to be two-one fire.
0: I'm, I'm saying something close to that. It's going to be fairly close, to that, as it has been in the last few games for the Fire. And Orlando, especially since, like you said, they're in the same position. I don't think there's anything new in terms of injuries or players unavailable. There, of course, then Chris Mueller being out for the entire rest of the season. And um, I'm pretty sure Brady's okay. Because I know some people have asked about how Brady was after he had to come off. But from what I've heard, he's been okay. So, yeah. Also, uh, Nashville did score two, and they have won the game. So, the final will be between Nashville and Miami. It'll be an all-MLS ordeal. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. News. That's the party versus Messi. Oh, the, mm, that's, that's actually going to be really cool. I'm, I'm excited to see this. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, as usual, thank you, the listener, wherever you're listening, to listening to this very listenable episode of Men in Red 97. Uh, thank you, DJ, who is not here with us anymore. Rest in peace. Um, yeah, normally we'd record this earlier. So.
1: Rest in peace that he's sleeping and not actually killed by that gator.
0: Oh, yeah, hopefully. Uh, we, will, ho- we will let you know as soon as the information becomes readily available to us. Thank you, Tim, as always, for joining, especially on this short notice, because we genuinely did think Matt was going to come back to the podcast. But he, ends up, he ended up witnessing the White Sox win. So, uh, yay for that. Um, as always, check out our other sites uh, in terms of like social media and the actual site, meninred97.com. Read those articles, including what Jiggly has there about Messi. And as always, come on, you men in red. Thanks, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us.